if you have your Bible and you want to go to James 3, open up to that passage, it'll also be up on the screen. Um, I'm, uh, I'm just amazed at how unbelievably accurate the text is this morning. Um, and I don't mean like because I believe in the truthfulness of God's word and like it's without error. I believe all those things. But like when I read this passage, let me just let me tell you, you might read that passage and you might be like, I, I kind of get it. I kind of don't. But when I started preparing for what we're going to do this morning, I kind of got it and I kind of didn't. And now that I'm on this side of it and I'm ready to like talk to us about it, I'm amazed at how unbelievably accurate the passage is in how we see life play out. And so I'm so excited that you're here because, gosh, it's just unbelievably freeing. Because here's the thing. Every single one of us, what the passage is talking about, we face every single day. And I'm also just wowed by God's timing on a topic of wisdom. And how many of us, all of us, but many of us are in a specific place where we're like, I need wisdom. And here's what I want to say to us this morning. God's got it, and he wants to give it. But can I let the cat out of the bag just at the very beginning? The goal of God's wisdom is not answers. It's him. Okay, I could say it. Let's pray and let's sing, because that's the point of this morning. The goal of God's wisdom isn't that he's going to give you these answers. It's that he wants to give you himself. But what about the answers? Well, maybe we'll see what he says in the midst of this. Um, if you're at all competitive, or if you're a human being, you, you understand this. Um, so competitive, human being, um, if you're not competitive, but you're a human being, I'm going to show you that you are actually competitive, because all of us, here's what we do. We have an ambition to outsmart life, right? Any of you? Like, you go about situations, like, like here's one, like, you go shopping, you drive around and you're like, I'm going to find the closest parking spot. And you like circle, 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 waiting for that car to come out, waiting for that car to come out. Then, you know, you got the guy that like goes and gets in the car and like you see the brakes on, but he never gets out of the car. And so you're like sitting there, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Okay. And you're, you could have been in the store, shopped out of the store and had parked all really far away and be gone before, you know, you waited for them to, to find the spot. Um, another one, this is probably one of my favorites. You're driving, I don't know why outsmarting your life has a lot to do with driving. Those are a lot of the illustrations that I had in my mind. You're driving down the road and you hit traffic. What do you do? You're like, I know another way, right? And you think you're the, I, I do it. I think I'm the only one that's going to think, you know, like, well, if I turn here, I get off here, then I could take this back way and I could get around here. Or better yet, thanks to Google, we have alternate route suggestions, Right? So the best thing you can do in stop and go traffic is be on your phone, right? So like, let's see what Google says about if I get off here and then turn here, I can outsmart traffic. Okay, we do this kind of stuff all the time. Okay, if you're online shopping, what do you do? And maybe I'm the only one that's ever done this. I don't think I am, but it's like you go to pay and it says coupon code. What do you do? You go over to Google and you Google search Okay, and you're like, really? Yeah, they're out there. Like, you Google search, like, the code that fits in there that gives you the discount. Now, some of them don't work, and, um, but we try to outsmart. Like, how can I double coupon this? How can I, you know, get, have more good than bad in my life? How can I, you know, maybe if I play the lottery here, then I win it, and then I can beat my life. 
I don't know if any of those situations resonated with you, but all of us, we are ambitious to outthink and outsmart. Some of you are way obsessed over it more than you should, but some of you are really good at it. Um, but we do that, right? We want to outsmart our life. We want to outthink our life. Well, James, some brilliant things to say about this. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let me just sum up what that says. Here's what James is saying, because that's kind of, a, kind, of, kind of a confusing sentence. Here's all that James is saying in that sentence. If you're wise, prove it with your life. If you're wise, prove it with your life. Your life will bear fruit of wisdom. Now, I'm, I'm not always the most brilliant. Um, uh, sometimes my life bears fruit that I'm not wise. So this was probably, I don't know, a year or two ago. I had this brilliant idea that I was going to help my wife out and make this awesome business deal in her favor. And so um, she, uh, she's a personal trainer. She has, she has two weight benches. And I had this brilliant idea. I'm like, we got two weight benches. What if we sold them both, took the money to then buy a better one and a nicer one? So I'm like, I put them both on Craigslist. Like, we're going to do this. One of them was a little bit older. It'd come with a lot of different attachments. I'm like, I should be able to get a lot of money for that. Um, the one thing I really didn't do and really didn't research really well was how much a new one actually costs. And so, but I had a brilliant plan. And so I put them both on Craigslist, and I'm not really getting any hits, and so I'm like, okay, I'll just lower the price a little bit, lower the price a little bit. Well, one of them, the nicer one, I sold. And I'm like, okay, we got this. Got some money in the bank. Let's sell the other one. And it never sold. And it's like got duct tape on it, and it's a really nice, nice, it's old, but it's really good branded. It never sold. It never sold. Uh, we never made enough money to actually go out and buy the new one. So now the actually pretty nice one I sold, and the guy walked out, out of the house with it, and now I understand why he was so excited about the deal he got on this thing because now we're stuck with the crappy one that's sitting in our basement that's got, you know, when you lean back to, like, work out, you get, like, duct tape glue on your head. If you're wise, prove it with your life. Failed. <laughs> Failed on that one. Um, but James comes and he's saying there's two kinds of wisdom that are present in life. They're the wisdom that is really what we would call our own brilliance, like my story right there, um, or there's the brilliance of God. Now, oftentimes we're really good at wanting to navigate life on our own, right? Um, how do we know this? Well, we oftentimes don't ask for help. We oftentimes don't go to God and ask for help. We're like, I can figure this out. I can strategize in such a way to navigate my life so that I come out ahead in the end. Um, but the thing is, is that James, if you remember back from chapter 1 in one five, where he says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Look, we, anybody struggle to ask? Anybody struggle to like, I need help. I need wisdom um, that's the first thing we have to do is admit it. So here's what I want to do as we walk through this. I believe I've pulled out five confessions that I think James wants us to make in the truth of the text. Here's the first one. First confession, God's smarter than me. Now, um, probably the majority of us would sit here and say, yeah, well, that's true. Would anyone want to argue differently? Um, but it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to live that way. Right? It's, a, it's a whole other thing to live as if God knows. 
He's got all the answers. He knows how life works. He's smarter than me. James calls it the meekness of wisdom. What's meekness? Anybody know? You know, it's like, hey, tell me about your friend. Oh, she's really meek. No, we don't use that terminology. Okay, another translation uses the word humility. The humility of wisdom. Let me give you an example of why James calls it the humility of wisdom. So um, uh, yesterday or the day before, we're in our house, and my oldest daughter is standing there, and my wife looks at her and says, uh, hey, Mikhail, your shirt's on backwards. She barely got the complete sentence out of her mouth before Mikhail goes, no, it's not. I look at my wife. I look at my daughter. I look down at her shirt. She looks down at her shirt. Not only is it on backwards, the tag is on the outside right here. Okay? She immediately was like, no, it's not. And I was like, Michaela, look down. She looks down, and then, you know what she does? She grabs it. She pulls it up over her head. And she keeps it there. Why? It's humbling to admit that you're wrong. Right? And when you go to God and ask for help, what you're saying is, is I, don't, I don't know the answer. That's why James says it's the, the meekness of wisdom. It's humbling. Admitting you're wrong and admitting you lack wisdom is humbling. Just as if I would call you out and say, your shirt's on backwards, your tag's... Like, you'd be like, oh, crap, I'm going to run to the bathroom and I don't want anybody to see me. Okay, look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. So James is making the statement of like, don't be dishonest about what's really going on inside of you. Because we can play this game like we know what to do. We know the answer. We know how to navigate life. James is like, let's be people that are honest about what we really don't know. Let's be people that are honest about the fact that God's smarter and the majority of us don't understand what he's doing and we don't understand his ways. But there's something interesting here. He uses the words jealousy and selfish ambition. When I first read this, I was just like, I'm really, really confused. But this is where I'm talking about the brilliance of this passage. Because James says that the mark of your own brilliant wisdom trumping God's wisdom is there'll be two things in your life. Jealousy and selfish ambition. Unbelievably accurate, because here's how this works. Number one, jealousy. What's jealousy? Anybody? What's jealousy? You look around and you're like, I want that. I want my life like his. I want to look like her. I want to live where they live. I want my job to be like them. I wish my kids behaved like them. What is that saying? When there's jealousy in our hearts, it's saying, God's not taking care of me. It's not trusting in the wisdom of God. It's the pursuit of, I'll figure it out. Doesn't God know what I need? Of course he does. The second one, and this one's even greater, selfish ambition. Do you know that word actually translates day laborer? What would be a day laborer? Someone who works really, really hard in their self-motivation and gets paid for it at the end of the day. Right? So selfish ambition would be this, like, this self 
vigorous pursuit that I'm going to figure this out. And in the end, I'm going to pay off for how hard I worked for it. Do you know that word also is translated as hostility and rivalry in the Bible? Selfish ambition. It's crazy. And James is saying, he's arguing that those things show us what's in our hearts. Okay? Admitting God's smarter than us is, is hard to do. Okay? But the way we do it is by running to him. If you, if you lack it, ask. Okay, but what does James say happens if we try to outsmart God? Look at verse 15. Let's dive a little bit deeper into this jealousy, selfish ambition piece. Uh, verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Strong word there, James. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Here's the second confession I think James wants us to make. It's not only that God's smarter than me, but trying to outsmart God isn't smart. Like, I mean, probably the majority of us would agree with that. Some of you might not. Some of you might be like, I don't know that I really believe God or I really trust Him. I do believe that in some things I have, you know, a better maybe the one who made me. Um, but it's not smart. He, and James, okay, did you see the word? What's the word that James used to describe our attempts to outsmart God? Demonic. It's like, wow. Okay, what does demonic mean? Some of you are like, I see like, you know, green eyes and like this monster. <laughs> okay, maybe part of it. Here's what demonic means. Acting like a demon. <laughs> You're like, that didn't help me at all. What does a demon do? What does a demon do? You're like, they exist? I don't know. What do they do? Tell me. Everything they do is contrary to God. Right? The most selfish, ambitious being is a demon. Is Satan. Is the enemy. Everything they do is... I want to thwart God's will and God's ways. Okay, we looked at this in James 2. This idea of faith that merely assents to gospel truths is on par with demonic faith. Okay? Faith without works is dead. Where if, if our faith doesn't lead us to actually live different, it's not real. It's the prideful self-labor that really is anti-God. I can figure this out. I can navigate this. Now, let me throw out a couple examples. How do you know if you're trying to outsmart God? Let me, I just wrote a couple things down. Do you pray? You're like, well, that one's just way too simple. Like, no, like, seriously. Like, do you pray? Because what I realize in my own life is how many times my conversations with my family and with my friends are all about us trying to figure things out together and there's very little like, let's, let's ask him. Let's talk to him. 
Let's see what God says. Let's pray. Let's not talk about praying. Let's not, you know, strategize about what it would look like if we prayed or what might result from prayer, but let's pray. We try to outsmart God when we don't pray. We don't stop and we don't ask him. The other thing is spending time in his word. Spending time in his word. Like, as a Christian, okay, we live our lives, yet how, how much do we actually seek him? God, show me. God, show me who you are. Show me how life is supposed to work. He's given us this truth. Not for answers, but to know him. To know him. It's like right here. And we try to outsmart God when we say, you know what, I don't, I don't need that. Here, here's one that might hit home. Do you grieve the pain in your life in your own bed of tears or in the arms of God? Do you grieve the pain in your life in your own bed of tears, which basically like, I'm going to figure out my own sorrow and my own mourning rather than God saying, I want to hold you in your pain. I want to hold you in your pain. Here's one. Do you try to earn God's favor through your obedience? You're like, how is that trying to outsmart God? Here's how it's trying to outsmart God. It's by you saying, I don't need the work of Jesus. I'm really good at working my own righteousness. I don't need the cross that God sent his son as the perfect holy sacrifice to make right what was wrong, to make me fully accepted and loved. And how do we live? Not as fully and accepted and loved, but I'm going to work. God, are you pleased with me? God, are you pleased with me? What you're saying is, God, I know a better way to save myself and lead my life as a follower of you than the way that's changed history. The cross. Here's one that I'm going to come back to this later. Do you live in fear and anxiety? Do you live in fear and anxiety? It's a lack of trust. It says, God, I know better than you. If our faith doesn't change the way we live, it's not real. Um, but here, here's what I think is incredibly accurate about what James has to say. Look at verse 16. What does he say is the fruit of of a self-strategized life. It's buried in verse 16. He calls it disorder. I'm going to call it chaos. Chaos. Let me read it. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, this like, I need, I need, I need. I'm going to pursue this for myself. God isn't a good provider for me. He doesn't know what I need. What happens? There will be disorder in every vile practice. What, what's chaos? And we're like, well, you should have been in my house this morning. Video camera, you could have put it right up here. Chaos. <laughs> it's unrest. It's uneasiness. It's instability. It's rebellion. It's rebellion. Let me ask you this. Do you wonder why your life is so chaotic? Maybe why you can't live in victory, why you can't overcome addiction, why you can't walk in who God's called you to be, and it's just like life is just chaotic. James is saying that it's connected to our lack of trust. 
Here's the third confession. The third confession. Chaos lives where trust lacks. Chaos. If there's chaos in your life, here's what I want you to think about. To what extent is this a result of my failure to trust God? To what extent is it a result of my failure to trust God? Let me give you an example. One of the most fundamental needs for human existence is trust. Let me give you an example. Broken homes. Broken homes are kids that come out of foster care, removed from the home. Listen, their lives are unbelievably chaotic. There's confusion. There's instability. They act rebellious. Okay, talking about kids here for a minute. Actually, statistics say that kids that come from broken homes are five times more likely to suffer, suffer mental troubles, including behavior issues in school. They suffer from poor health and, and then fall into crime, addiction, and poverty as an adult. Why? Because there wasn't trust as the core necessary component to thrive as a human being. Everything was questioned. I don't know if I can trust dad. I don't know if I can trust mom. I don't know if I can trust my sister. They're going to take advantage of me. No. Translate that to our faith. Chaos lives where trust lacks. You take a kid's situation where they, they don't know if they wake up in the morning if they're going to get fed or if they're going to get hit. They don't know if they wake up in the morning, if they're going to have clothes, or they're going to get kicked out of the house. It's fear, like, can I trust? Now, where do we fail to trust God? What happens when we don't trust God? It's chaotic. Okay, I've got to figure this out. Okay, so there's this self-protection mode that happens. Rick read this verse earlier. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We're really good at being wise in our own eyes. Right? We like look in the mirror and you're like, gosh, that was a really good decision, except for the the weight bench one I gave. (laughs) Awful decision. Um, but But notice what it says. He will make straight your paths. What does that mean? I think we have a misconception about what that means when we trust God and we don't lean on our own understandings. But here's what straight paths really means, is there's stability. Stability. Listen, things can be a little crazy. I'm not offering here that if we trust God, things won't ever be hard and crazy and uncertain. Or the kids won't misbehave, or that your spouse won't misbehave. But there's a stability because straight paths, where do they lead us? Into his arms. Straight into his arms. He's saying, I got you. Trust me. Trust me. Why? Because at the center of that path is a loving God who's pure. Listen to how James describes this kind of life when we don't try to outsmart God and we trust the Father. Look at verse 17. But wisdom from above is first pure, 
been peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Okay? It's first pure. Okay, here's the fourth confession. God's not out to get you. Now, some of you maybe read that and you're like, I know that. But do we really know that? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe at the heart of Christian faith is a God who's for us? He's for us. It's amazing. He's for us. He's not out to get you. Well, it's like a game of like shoots and ladders, right? It's like you really have no control except how hard you spin, and you're going to climb, climb, climb until you reach that space where you just fall back to the beginning. Like, this is awesome. Thanks, God. He's for you. He's for you. He's absolutely for you. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that you can trust him as a, as a good father? Do, do you believe that? And I know there's, there's aspects of our lives where we don't. We struggle to Listen, a father who has a kid that is rebellious and wayward and wants to spit in dad's face and smear dad's name, and dad says, I'm going to love you and I want to rescue you from your brokenness and bring you into my peace. So much so that I'm going to give up the life of my son so that you could be mine. That's a dad who you can trust. That's a dad who you can trust. Because he's pure. Does anybody here ever struggle with God's purity? Like, yeah, God, is, like, is he really pure? Is he really for me? Is he really good? Are his ways good? James' argument is, did you notice the word he uses there? The wisdom from above is first, pure. For, I guess, a foundation. Why is it first pure? Because God is pure. Because he's perfect. He's perfect in all of his ways. I think we're going to sing that in a minute. He's perfect in all of his ways. But what are the other characteristics? Look at the other characteristics. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. Do you know what you can, if you bring all those together, what all of those words are saying is back to what James says in the first verse, or verse 13. Humility. The, the meekness of wisdom. Okay, so, so here's a test for you you can take later about how you can determine if you're really trusting God is read those. Go through those. Man, is, my, is there peace in my life? Am I a gentle person? Am I, am I teachable? Open to, open to conversation? Open to critique? Or am I always right? Am I full of mercy? Is the fruit of my life actually bearing good fruit and representing the character of God? Is my life free from prejudice and favoritism? Is my life genuine and authentic? All of us should be able to look at that list and be like, man, here's an area of my life where I'm not trusting. I'm not good at trusting God. And you know what the result is? Chaos. Crazy. 
Because our ways aren't better than his. And when we pursue our ways above his, it's going to go bad. It's going to get crazy. It's going to get chaotic. But verse 18 is just incredible. Look at it. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen, the result of this life where we pursue, God, you know. God, you're wise. And we pursue the wisdom of God above our own self-strategized life. James is arguing is peace. A peaceful righteousness, which is like a harvest of peace. It's not chaotic. It's not crazy. It's not like out of control. This is amazing. That word, that idea of peaceful righteousness, here's what it actually means. To sit down in one's heart. Love that. Because like how, how many of our hearts are just like racing? Like it's like, you know, you're in the room and when you're nervous, you're just like like pacing back and forth and like and God's like, the peace I want to bring to your heart when you will run to me is the peace that allows you to rest. Is a peace that allows you to rest. Here's the fifth confession that I want to land the plane with. Is peace comes when I stop trusting in my own solutions. Peace comes when I stop trusting in my own solutions. Okay? How, let me just give you this really practical question. To what extent do you invite God into your family and into your home? Okay, um, we had this incident at my house yesterday. And the Lord just like, like he... He just brought all this to life through this one instance. My daughter is terrified of splinters because of the process of removal. Okay, you think it'd be easy. It's not. Um, and so uh, I was doing a project at home, and uh, my daughter got a splinter in her finger, and she is flipping out, just going crazy. Like, and I'm like, babe, it's okay. Well, like, I'll get it out. Let me, go get the, let me go get the needle. Let me go get the tweezers. And she's just like... Freaking out and like, I didn't know what to do. Like, put a band-aid on it, you know. Like, uh, and so like the Lord just said, "Here's a moment for you to trust me over your own strategy." And so I was just like, "Okay, how about we pray?" She's like, "Okay." And so we stopped and we just prayed. And here's the result. Let me just say this: the splinter still in her finger. So, like, the prayer didn't bring the splinter out. It didn't, like, change the situation and, like, make everything all better. But here's what it did is in that moment, and gosh, this is what the Lord just poured into my soul through that moment, is in that moment, it said, remind your own heart and remind the heart of your daughter who is in control. That God is on the throne. It's a splinter. Like, really, Dave? Yeah. God's on the throne. It didn't... It wasn't this like, if you were watching, like all of a sudden it was like, wow, what a holy moment. Like it wasn't that at all. It was crazy. And I, and I don't know that it got, it got a little bit more peaceful as a result, but the splinter's still in her finger. So if any of you have like master, whatever, how to get out splinters, you can help us. This morning she woke up, she's like, Daddy, you think we should get this splinter out? I'm like, that's oh, still in there. Thank goodness God gives us bodies where they work that kind of thing out. But um, listen to this quote by John Newton. Or simply we commit the how 
when and where to God's wisdom and will, the more we shall be free from heart-eating anxiety. God, how? Like, how are you going to do this? God, when are you going to do this? God, where are you going to do this? James is saying, submit it to his wisdom. Submit it to his will. He knows. He'll take care of you. He knows. This, there's a reason why the, the number one most repeated command in the Bible is fear not. Do you know that? The number one most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid. At the heart of fear is chaos. At the core of fear is this like, I don't don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. And whatever you're facing, whatever decisions you're facing, whether it's with your job, how to handle your job, how to handle your, your kids. Listen, the news of like the Westlake landfill situation that kind of is kind of going around this week, like it's, it's crazy, okay? This isn't like, a, hey, trust God in the name of like, let's kill ourselves. But like, here's the reality is that God's command in this situation and in every situation we will ever face in our lives is do not be afraid. And I firmly believe that what James is teaching us here is that if fear is at the core of our decisions, then it's not godly. But here's what God's beckoning us us into, is a trust that pushes us into his presence. Not just a trust that says, God, I just need an answer. We're way more interested in answers than God is. And we freak out about our lives because we need answers. And God's like, I'm God, and I'm not concerned about you having answers. I'm more concerned about you coming to me and knowing me. And here's what's crazy. In the process, I'll tell you what you should do because I'm more for you than you are. I love your kids more than you do. I love your spouse more than you do. I understand your financial situation more than you do. And I'm wanting to work a work bigger and better than you could ever imagine. ever. And I believe firmly that in those situations, God will give us answers because he's the God who does. He's like, if you don't know, ask. Ask and he'll show you because he's for you. He's for you. Somebody um, said to me the other day, trust is fear that said its prayers. I love that. Trust is fear. God says, do not fear. Trust him. Because trust is fear that said its prayers. What decisions are you making that you need wisdom? And they're based in fear. Because fear is like the self-protect mode. And God's like, you're awful at protecting yourself. You really think you're really good at it? You really think you're really good at protecting your kids? You're terrible. Can I just free you from that? He's like, I'm It's like, you know kung fu, but I created it. I got you. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's freeing. It's freeing. So I just want to close with this question as we prepare to respond. 
Are you trying to outsmart your life? Waking up strategizing how to get ahead, how to figure it out. Are you running to the one who, yes, knows what you should do, but is less interested about what you should do, but who you should be and whose you are? Because no matter what you're facing, no matter what I'm facing, here's, here's what I know. God loves putting us in situations where we're out of control so he can say, I'm in control. He loves it. He loves it. I think he has way too much fun with it. <laughs> Up in heaven, he's just like, I'm going to show them they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to show them they're out of control so that maybe, just maybe, they'd realize, I'm just wooing you into my presence. I'm just wooing you. I'm drawing you in. I want to bring stability where there's chaos in your life. And that happens when you begin to trust me. Trust me that I'm good, that I'm a good father. Let's pray. And then let's prepare to respond um, to a God who we can trust. Father, I'm amazed at the the timing of this word for us as your people. God, we need this. We need your wisdom. God, we need answers in, in all of our lives. But God, free us from believing the lie that our hope is in the answers more than it's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Father, where we are struggling to trust, where we're struggling to believe that you're a good Father who's for us, God, would you maybe through these next few moments just lead us a little bit closer? Because we know we're not going to arrive today, but a little bit closer to trusting you and recognizing and admitting you're a good, good Father. God, thanks for your love. Thanks for caring so much about us and for saving us. In Christ's name, amen.